and we were dishing out rolls for the day. And I can shovel dirt. That's something I'm really good at. I'm, I'm no construction person. I really don't know much, but I could shovel dirt. So I signed up for that. And then they said, who can do plumbing? And Carol said, well, I got it. We all were like, and y'all, she did. She had it. On that trip in Costa Rica, like, I had sweat everywhere. Like, every part of my body was sweating. So breaks were kind of a frequent thing that needed to happen. Carol took no breaks. I'm pretty sure she took no breaks all three days. She learned during that trip that growth is greater than comfort. Welcome to Crosswalk. My name is Carrie Lynn Lucas, and I'm one of your associate assistant pastors here at Lover's Lane. Um, I'm also a student at Perkins School of Theology, where I'm almost, almost, almost done. Thank the Lord. This fall, we've been in a sermon series that we're calling Greater Than. And we've been taking a look at the things that God calls us to that are perhaps greater than the things we live in. Week one, we talked about how God is greater than me. Week two is community is greater than self. And last week, Stan preached to us on how generosity is greater than greed. So I get the chance to speak on growth is greater than comfort. Now I sat and I thought about this this week. Growth is greater than comfort seems fairly simple. I thought, well, I can just go up there and say growth is greater than comfort and you know, let them sing their last song and head on home. Growth is greater than comfort seems fairly simple. But I have a really big confession to make this morning. I really like being comfortable. I'm not kidding. I have no better Saturday than the way I spent last week. Not yesterday. I was very busy. Last week, y'all want to know what I did? I put on sweatpants. I did not wash my hair. I did not put on a lick of makeup, and I was horizontal on the couch all day long watching college football game after college football game from 9 in the morning to 11 o'clock at night. I got up for meals, which none of which were healthy. <laughs> and you want to know something? I have zero regrets. I spent that day very comfortable, very entertained. I had a great time. Honestly, I'd rather be in sweatpants right now, not going to lie. Comfort is pretty great. And yes, my example of last Saturday is pretty silly, but I choose comfort in a lot of areas of my life a lot of the time. I love being comfortable so much that when I go to new places, I really do experience a level of anxiety. New restaurants and coffee shops. I don't know, are you going to have to bust your own table? Do you go to a counter and order and then sit down? Do you sit down and then they, it's, it's a whole thing. I love being comfortable. I love being co so comfortable so much that I don't like going to parties or gatherings where I only know like one or two people and, oh, you'll just get to know the other people there. No, I don't like that. I love being comfortable. I love being comfortable so much that I fear trying new things. I love being comfortable. And you know what? Sometimes I prefer comfort when it comes to my relationship with God. So the statement, growth is greater than comfort, maybe isn't as simple as I originally thought. So today we're going to look at growth. And I hope I can make for a case for how growth really is greater than comfort. 
We're going to look at a passage of scripture that's really challenging and how we can see growth in terms of our relationship with God. So our scripture from today comes from the book of Hebrews and it's chapter 12. And I'm going to give you just a quick review synopsis of the book of Hebrews. So the book of Hebrews is found in your New Testament. It's a letter written to a group of people called the Hebrews. One of the coolest things about the book of Hebrews, and the reason that I love it, is because there's so much mystery that surrounds this book. We actually don't know a whole lot about it. Biblical scholars to this day debate who wrote it or when it was written. But for me, that mystery allows me to see myself in this letter. The book of Hebrews also has a lot of Old Testament references. And if you know me, you know I really, 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 really love the Old Testament. The section right before the part we're going to read today actually unpacks over ten Old Testament heroes and how their actions were done by faith and how that was honoring to God. The book of Hebrews helps us put together God's big story that we find in this entire book. So today we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12, and it's a really big section, so we're going to stay seated rather than standing like we normally do. Um, You're welcome. So Hebrews 12, we're going to actually kind of break it up into a few small parts. So we'll start with verses 1 through 3. So then, with endurance, let's also run the race that is laid out in front of us, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Let's throw off any extra baggage, get rid of the sin that trips us up, and fix our eyes on Jesus, faith's pioneer and perfecter. He endured the cross, ignoring the shame, for the sake of joy that was laid out in front of him and sat down at the right side of God's throne. Think about the one who endured such opposition from sinners so that you won't be discouraged and you won't give Now, these first three verses, if you've been in church for more than about 10 minutes, you've probably heard a sermon or read a devotional on these verses. I talked to a couple friends this week, and they've pointed to these verses as being very formative for them. Those of you who perhaps work out more often than I do can really relate to the running the race metaphor. This entire section is about building up endurance, and you don't have to be an Olympic athlete to understand that you can't run fast if you're weighed down. The passage calls for us to throw off baggage, to focus on Christ, and to run the race that's set before us. The writer of this passage understands that life is full of hurdles, one after another. The passage also calls us to look to the example of Jesus. And it really specifically hits on Jesus' crucifixion and emphasizes the suffering and the shame of the cross that Christ took on. When we're in times of great pain or waiting or suffering or doubt, this passage calls us to look to that Christ who understands suffering and pain. We talk about the crucifixion as a painful event, but we forget to mention that it was shameful. Christ's death is not something that was quick and private. It was public and long and drawn out. 
And the author calls us to take inspiration from this as we face trials. And I could give a really great sermon with the remainder of our time on these three verses, but we didn't stop at verse 3 for this morning. We actually included verses 4 through 11, which are a little more difficult. In your struggle against sin, you haven't resisted yet to the point of shedding blood. And you have forgotten the encouragement that addresses you as sons and daughters. My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline or give up when you are corrected by him. Because the Lord disciplines whomever he loves. And he punishes every son or daughter whom he accepts. Bear hardship for the sake of discipline. God is treating you like sons and daughters. What child isn't disciplined by his or her father? But if you don't experience discipline, which happens to all children, then you are illegitimate and not real sons and daughters. What's more, we had human parents who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? Our human parents disciplined us for a little while as it seemed best to them. But God does it for our benefit so that we can share in his holiness. No discipline is fun while it lasts. And it seems painful at the time. Later, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. Now, my poor parents, who will listen to this sermon later today, are really nervous right about now. Because they have no clue what I might say about discipline. Now, I've told some of you before, but I am the oldest of three children um, in my family. I believe I've got a picture of how cute we are. Yeah, aren't we adorable? I think so. Yeah, and then there's an updated version. Yeah. So when we get together, I make us take pictures, and they don't like it. Can you tell? I am the oldest of three, not to mention the oldest of three, but also I've got three cousins that grew up about ten minutes away from me, and I'm the oldest of the six. And then our other side of cousins, there's also three more, and I'm older than they are. So I'm like the oldest cubed, all right? I, I, I love it. Here's the thing about being the oldest. There are some really great parts of it. There are some great things about being the firstborn. The first is I have no concept of hand-me-downs. Never once have I gotten a used piece of clothing or toys. I get new stuff all the time, and it's great. The second only worked for a little while, but when you're the oldest, your siblings believe just about anything you tell them. Um, and I only took advantage of that maybe three or four hundred times. And I've got a built-in good excuse to win every single fight because I was born first. This won me the front seat in mom's vehicle many a time when I was in middle school. And the remote control and the biggest bedroom. Plus, I like to claim that my mom and dad have loved me the longest. But if you're a firstborn child or you have sympathy for one, you know that there are some downsides. When you're the firstborn child, you're the built-in babysitter once you hit about 10 years old. And then you want to know what happens when you turn 16? Yeah, you're also the built-in Uber driver that does it for free. When you're the firstborn, there's some pretty high expectations. Anytime the three of us would get in trouble, I would like to claim that I got in the most trouble and I would get told, well, you know better. Mom, Patrick's 14, he knows better too. But I should know better because I was born first. 
and I would like to claim that my parents are more strict with me than they were with the other two. I actually had to wait until I was 13 to go to a PG-13 movie. Meanwhile, my brother received Star Wars Episode 3 for his fifth birthday, which had a very PG-13 rating. And I was thinking about this this week, and a story came to mind about what it's really like to grow up as the oldest in my household. So in first grade, I had the best teacher. Her name was Mrs. Fitzgerald. And God bless her, she had all three Lucas kids twice. She had them in first grade and in fifth grade. She's now the principal of our elementary school. And if I made a top ten list of my favorite teachers, she'd still be on it. But like in any first grade classroom, we had a disciplinary system. We had a wall that each had our names on it, and every name had three strips. A green strip, a yellow strip, and a red strip. And every day we took home a folder with our name on it with a little stamp on the day. And you either got a smiley face, a straight face, or a frowny face based on what color your strip was at the end of the day. Now, anyone who knows me knows I'm pretty responsible. I like rules. I like following rules. And I like pleasing people. So I had built up a pretty good reputation for going home with a green strip and a smiley face every day. Perhaps I took a little too much pride in it because, well, all streaks must come to an end. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, there was a day I got my strip pulled. And I remember it. It was tragic. I don't remember what I did, but I got moved to yellow. And I sat, and it happened early in the day, too. I remember thinking all day long, this is going to be terrible when I get home. And I even went to my teacher, and I said, Mrs. Fitzgerald, please forgive me. I'm so sorry. Please move me back to green. And she said, Carrie Lynn, there's consequences for your actions. You're going home with a straight face today. So I took my folder home, and I got in my mom's car. And I thought it best to go ahead and air my grievances out on the ride home rather than have her be surprised when she got home and opened the folder I like to be truthful. I'm the firstborn. So I let her know. I said, Mom, I got a straight face today. And you want to know what my mom did? She pulled out her Nokia phone that better resembles a brick, called my dad's office and said, I will be dropping your daughter off on the way home. Yes, I got dropped off at my dad's office. He works at a bank, and he had the corner office at the time. So I get dropped off, told, you go inside and you tell your father what you did. Whew, man. So my little six-year-old self comes in with my backpack and my cute little curly hair. And Dad played the power dynamic pretty hard. He had me sit in the chair that was way too big for me. And he said, all right, tell me what you did. And I told him, Dad, I messed up. I went from green to yellow, and I have a straight face today. And then came my punishment. I was told that I needed to go and apologize to my teacher the next day because they didn't believe me that I had already tried to do that to not get yellow in the first place. And I would pick up pecans in the backyard and fill up a bucket every Saturday for a month. Now, if you called my dad right now, he might claim that it was only one Saturday instead of an entire month, but he doesn't have a microphone, and I do. So it was every Saturday for a month, people. Now... My sister was in first grade just two short years later. We are only 17 months apart. So you would think 
that when she comes home with her very first straight face, my parents would remember the day, not two years earlier, that I received what I believe to be a pretty harsh punishment. You would think that Allie would get to live the same experience that I did and pick up pecans in the backyard. That would be fair, right? No, no. My parents, you want to know what Allie got when she came home with a straight face? Oh, honey, good job. Good job? She has a straight face. I recall when I was your age that we got punishment for these things. My poor third grade heart and justice-loving brain hated that. And to this day, I use that as a really good story as to how my parents treat each of us differently. <laughs> but I've left out some pretty important information when I tell the story. It was my sister's first straight face to come home with. But it was her first straight face after a streak of frowny faces. For my sister, a straight face meant an improvement on her behavior, requiring celebration and positive reinforcement. For me, it was a sign of slipping. In comparison with past behavior, a straight face required punishment and correction. I think sometimes I make a very similar mistake when it comes to my relationship with God. Parental language, when we use it for God, is a really good metaphor. It's a really good way of giving us a way to relate to God. We call God a good father. We sing it over and over again in a song. But a good parent disciplines their child sometimes when it's required. We fail to recognize that when we call God parent or father, this means all of the good things but also the discipline part. That's what this section in Hebrews is pointing towards. The scripture says that we've forgotten that we're children of God, and part of that means discipline. Just like my parents, God's discipline is different with each of us. God created each and every person in this room special and unique and different, and God desires relationship with every single person in this room. Therefore, God's relationship with each and every person in this room is different and unique. God's discipline looks different with each of us. God works with us to help us improve and to be more like Jesus. Now I have to throw in my little bit of United Methodist terminology here so my professors will give me the thumbs up. We have a word for it and it's a big churchy word and it's called sanctification. Sanctification means growing in relationship with God to become more like Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. God's discipline is different with each of us. Remember verse 11 in the passage says, No discipline is fun while it lasts. It seems painful at the time, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who've been trained by it. When we hear this idea that God disciplines us, it seems really loaded and really scary. But would you prefer a God that didn't care? Would you prefer a God that left you alone and never disciplined you? What is God's discipline? I think it's different for each of us. God's discipline is when God calls you to something difficult. When God calls you to forgiveness. 
When God calls you to reconciliation, when God calls you to waiting for something, that's God's discipline. It's sanctification. It's becoming more like Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, I have to take a moment to make sure I'm being really clear. Sometimes when we use theology, we can use it in a really wrong way. I am not saying that everything bad that happens to you is God's discipline. That is not true. I don't believe that. I see it this way. Earlier this month, North and South Carolina were completely destroyed by a hurricane. That is not because God's trying to discipline two states. However, God is calling you and me and others to provide adequate, helpful, timely resources to this area. That's calling us to something difficult. That's God's discipline. I don't think that God made my parents get divorced in order to show me some discipline. But I do think that God disciplines me when God calls me to live in loving and correct relationship with both of my parents and figure out what that means. God does not cause the bad things that happens to you, but God calls you to something difficult. I thought about that this week, actually. This is my journal. Don't come read it after. You may not like it. But I wrote at the top, times when growth has been greater than comfort. And in just 23 short years of life, I've been able to make a pretty long list. Times when God has sanctified me. Times when the Holy Spirit has called me to do some really difficult things. This is times when growth has been greater than comfort. And my relationship with God and my spiritual life has completely improved during these times. Now this week, I really struggled with writing this sermon. I think on Thursday, I spent about an hour in Scott and Reagan Gilliland's office just talking and talking and talking because I was struggling with how to approach this piece of scripture. But lucky for me, I have a best friend. Her name is Alyssa. She's an elementary school teacher in Fredericksburg, Texas, and I believe that if we made a list of the best humans, she'd be on it. She's really incredible. She helps me when I'm overthinking things. And I said, Alyssa, I don't know what to do with this passage. And she said, Carrie Lynn, it's like a rubber band. I said, excuse me? A rubber band, like this one. A rubber band is created to be stretched. Right now, this rubber band's not being stretched. It's not doing much. It's not nice to look at. But I can stretch it, and I can twist it, and it can be used for what it's created for, to hold things together. I can stretch a rubber band, and I can break it, and it will snap, and it will hurt me. But I can also stretch a rubber band, and let go, and maybe hit K. Oh, nope, or I can fail. The same can be said about us when difficult things in our life come about. We're created to be stretched. We're created to be twisted. And we have a choice. When we're stretched, we can decide that's it, and we can break and we can quit, and we can give up. Or we can do the harder thing. 
We can remember verses 1 through 3 of this that call us to look to Jesus, look to his example, move in relationship with God through the direction and the discipline of the Holy Spirit. When we stop looking at ourselves and the situation that's facing us, we throw off baggage. We look to Jesus. And when we do that, we're stretched. But maybe it's like when you let go and the rubber band is launched. We can decide that stretching is going to launch us instead of breaking us. God is calling you something to something difficult rather than something comfortable. Comfort's great, but it's not what's best for us. I love my sweatpants. Man, I love them. And I love sitting and watching college football on Saturdays. But I also love my job. A job in which... I walk through the door and never know what's going to happen. It stretches me. It twists me. And it's hard. But I experience growth in my job instead of comfort. I don't love going to new places and trying new things. But the places that are my favorites now had to be foreign to me at one point. I don't love going to places where I don't know anyone. But when I went to college and when I went to seminary and I didn't know a single soul in either building, I found my best friends in the entire world. Growth is greater than comfort. You have a race before you and you have a choice. When you're stretched, are you going to let yourself snap? Or maybe you'll run with endurance. You'll let go. Look to Jesus. Let the Holy Spirit sanctify you and let yourself launch. When you're stretched and you lean on God, you lean on the Holy Spirit, you lean on the example of Christ. You allow yourself to grow and to go farther than you could without any of those things. Because for us, growth really is greater than comfort. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. And for this space to gather and the opportunity to worship you. Thank you for the ways that you stretch us. Thank you for the ways that you work with us to sanctify us even when they're painful. Thank you for the growth that we experience with you. Teach us to continue to lean on you. Send your spirit down to continue sanctifying us so that we may become like Jesus as we grow in relationship with you. Call us to difficult things. Help us push one another to say yes to difficult things. We thank you for your word that we're able to struggle with. In your name we ask all of these things. Amen.